And welcome in to the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. It is time for Rattling Cages right here on Fan Run Radio, Fox Sports, Knoxville, 105.7 FM, 1340 AM, and on your free Fan Run Radio app. Jake Miller alongside J.L. Still. We're going to be joined by Bill Mars here in about 20 minutes. Got to got to sit down with him this past week and you know talk a little bit about his journey, what he's been able to do, and really what his job entails. He is the uh, interior specialist and mechanic for Front Row Motorsports, and we're going to be looking forward to that interview coming up here at about 8.20. JL, how are you, sir? Cold. Yes. And sadly, it's just going to get colder, as you know, from here on out for the next week or so in East Tennessee. So it's uh, just hunker down and stay warm and Hope for spring quickly. Yeah, that's about all you can do at this point, and especially when you look in the closet, especially when you're in the middle of a move, and it's like, oh my goodness, I don't have a coat that is <laughs> capable or compatible with the conditions I'm about to experience. So I got two options here. I can either go out today and buy a coat and some gloves, or I can just layer up. And quite frankly, I don't know which one I want to do. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was joking last night on Twitter on X that uh, our friends at Mullins Racing had posted uh, a couple of pictures and their results from the architects at Daytona. And I said, I know something like that. I know we're in the dead of winter, but every time I see test results from Daytona, it reminds me spring is right around the corner. So let's just hang in there. That it is Daytona. The Daytona 500 is roughly a month and four days away. We're inside of a month, however to the clash at the LA Coliseum and that's a race JL you know when it was at Daytona you know I could I could still get up for it a little bit but this one you know we love short track racing that one's to me I mean and this is just my personal opinion I think that it's almost too short of a distance in order to make it something good well and in my opinion of course I'm an older fan been around a lot longer that race was special when it was just for previous season poll winners, mm-hmm. you know, you may have nine guys, you may have 11, 13 guys out there, whatever. But when it was on the speedway at Daytona and it was a reward for just the previous year's poll winners, it was really special. And then we expanded the field and we had different criteria this year. And all of a sudden it became an event for the entire field. Now, sadly, I think with this charter system, we're never going to be able to get it back to where it was a real special event. This is just a non-points cup race where everybody's involved. And that just takes, takes away a lot of it. And then I don't know, I'm still not sold on this deal at LA. I saw this morning uh, online that their street marketing, their NASCAR street marketing teams out in LA, giving away tickets and pumping up the race and, and trying to create a buzz. Let me tell you, if you're in year three of an event, and you need to go to that extreme to create a buzz, your product is not creating the buzz. I can name several markets that would have a buzz about this event if they hosted it without street marketing teams. Could you imagine if they did this at the Nashville Fairgrounds? Yeah, I mean, it's going to – I don't know. Let's see what happens after this race. Let's see what the attendance is. I don't know. NASCAR, as we know, is stubborn. They don't want to admit – when they've made any mistakes, but uh, if you can't create your own buzz after three years in, there's an issue. Well, and this just goes back to 
you know, our theory that we've had for, you know, roughly a year now. I mean, it's it's essentially been a year since I've had you, whether it be yeah. on as a guest on my previous show that I had or since we started rattling cages. Yeah. That NASCAR is trying to chase that phantom fan that just does not exist. I know. It just does not exist. It's never going to exist. If you're going to try to go get a new fan that has never been to a track, never been to a race, you know how you do it? You go to your roots. It's like, sure. where are our biggest markets that we know we have fans in? How can we utilize that to get more of those fans to the track? Well, they also, in the Winston days, they had a relationship with the local tracks. You not only had Winston sponsoring the, the National Touring se- Series, but you, you'd see the same red and white uh, painted walls at local tracks. Winston poured money into local tracks. And so a local fan may go out to a local track, let's say Nashville Fairgrounds. Yeah. And you're going to see a lot of, you know, the cars are going to be similar. You're going to see the same advertising. So when you turn, turn your TV on, there's something to relate to. You also had cup drivers consistently showing up at regular tracks, making appearances, sometimes racing. Well, that gave that local fan another reason to tune into the national broadcast. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem is they're, they're targeting, in my opinion, they're targeting the wrong person. For years, we've heard the NASCAR fan base is, is getting older. We need to attract young fans. Here's how you do it, or here's one way you do it. You keep appealing to the fans like me who grew up on the sport, right? who are now at a point in life where we have disposable income, because going to a, a cup race is not cheap, no. whether it's the travel, certainly hotels. It's not cheap even if you're camping. You've got the food, you've got the tickets, you, you've got everything, you know, depending on your distance, a couple of days off work to get to and from. So you, you keep targeting the guys like me who have that time, who have that disposable income, who could have been turning our own kids onto the sport by taking them to the track. Instead, I've never taken, I've taken my daughters to short tracks, to local tracks. I've never taken my kids to a cup race, you know, because you continue to, turn away from guys like me, why am I going to, why am I going to keep giving you money? Why am I going to keep making the effort to take these trips? You know, you have no reason to No, So they've, they've really lost a generation of fans, in my opinion, thinking that they're appealing to a new generation of fans. So they've just, they've had it backwards. It's a shame. I mean, they really have. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, you know, I've been to a lot of races at Bristol Martinsville, um, Richmond is now getting added to the list. Uh, JL, you know where I was at uh, for New Year's. So, I mean, that explains a lot of that. Yeah. You know, having those connections works out uh, pretty well. But, you know, these races that I've been to, uh, JL, I'll be honest, like the only reason that I've been able to go and, you know, I got, I mean, let's call it like it is. I have a decent job outside of radio. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like I just, when I look at the ticket prices, I just don't want to spend that money. The only yeah. reason I've been able to go is because someone has been generous enough to donate those to vet ticks. Kurt Busch is the reason I actually got to go to one of the races because he had donated 100 tickets to the Martinsville race back in 2018, the spring race. So I just went. I was like, okay, this is free. I've never been to Martinsville. Let's uh, go up here. Cool. I find out it's very similar to where I grew up. You know, the Campbell County area uh, reminded me more of Scott County than it did Campbell County. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, this is a fun experience. I'm going back to Martinsville. 
And quite frankly, I cannot wait to go back to Martinsville. I had the time of my life up there. And, yeah, you know, if you could do more of that, I'm not saying, you know, give tickets out to, you know, just whoever, but, you know, there's got to be a way that you can market to the new generation of fans while at the same time keeping the fans that have been around and supported this and kept this thing going for years and years and years. There's got to be a happy medium as to how you can get both demographics to come together and put rear ends in seats. Well, you think so, you hope so. I just, you, you, yes, you do have to, I'm not an old, I'm, I'm not one of the people, you know, look at and say, well, boomer, you know, you don't want to change. I realize they have to continue to appeal to new fans, but think about it. The last few years, they have seemed to put all their emphasis into trying to attract the fan and get a fan to spend their money who is also the same person who doesn't think they need to pay back student loans. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, if you can't pay back student loans, how are you going to spend all this money, you know, on something extracurricular? So you can't, you're eating rice and beans at that point. You're struggling to pay rent. Exactly. I mean, uh, the best equivalent I can think of this is, um, and JL, you know what I'm talking about because you're local here to the area. And I know we're a NASCAR show, but when you look at, the University of Tennessee, for example, you had a lot of donors and a lot of season ticket holders who were grandfathered in to this old system yeah. in which you didn't have to pay a donation. While at the same time, it's not fair for somebody else to have to pay a massive donation. At the same time, you made a lot of people mad by moving them out of their seats that their family had had for 50 plus years. And it's like, oh, yeah. well, you're going to be over here now. Well, I don't want to do that because my family's had these tickets for years and years and years. Oh, and by the way, you had to pay a donation on top of that. We've never had to pay a donation because yeah. we were grandfathered into this old system. Well, sorry, uh, this just getting done away with. Like it's the same same thing. Like you can't just make your entire fan base mad that's already there to try to appease a new fan. Because I'll be honest, some of the new football fans, and not all of them are like this. You have people like me and. You know, the guy that took over my show, William, that actually care about the sport, that are going to support, you know, a certain team or a certain driver, no matter what. But at the same time, you have a lot of these people that are coming in and using it basically as a social event. Sure. And it's like, okay, well, it's cool that you're here, you're buying a ticket, you're buying, you know, beer, you're buying food. But do you really have a vested interest in what's going on on the field or on the track? Yeah. I know. I mean, you're absolutely right. Now, again, I think there's been better opportunities for them to continue to appeal to established fans while trying to attract new ones, but they've they've tried to ignore the former just to go all in on the latter. And it's uh, I mean, it's cost them. And I hope they hope they turn it around because I love the sport. Now, here's here's a for instance. I take I take my buddy Joe. He, he, he's heard about racing. He's never been racing. Okay. And I take him to the local track and we're watching and we see practice and we see qualifying and, 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 you know, if you get there early enough, you'd be there several hours before the actual races start. You mm-hmm. know, we watch the races. Joe has a good time. He decides to sit down and watch a cup race. Well, guess what? There's no practice. You don't see practice anymore. Uh, you're watching the race and what are these stages? We didn't see stages at the local track Saturday night. What's this talking about? How's the stage work? And, you know, there's a disconnect, a huge disconnect between the local track now 
and the big series. And it seems like now NASCAR doesn't care about the local track. They're just focused on social media, television, streaming. That's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to get it. If you listen to the uproar over the last couple of days about people not wanting to subscribe to Peacock to watch the Chiefs and Dolphins last night. Ooh. Okay, get ready. Because, <laughs> you know, we're streaming racing when uh, some of these races, when this new TV deal comes. So that's going to be interesting to see those numbers. And that's just something that's just absurd to me still. I mean, you know, even, you know, you know, for reference, I'm about to be 29 years old. And, you know, I grew up when Netflix just became a thing and you got Hulu and you got – YouTube, now you have YouTube TV and all these streaming services. You know, now we have Peacock. Now we have, you know, Apple TV is a streaming service. You have multiple avenues in which you can take this. The problem that I have is if it's a primetime event, a primetime race, a primetime game, I'm already paying for a cable subscription. Sure. I don't want to have to go and buy another streaming service because at the end of the day, I'm going to end up spending more on streaming services than yep. what I ever will just paying for cable. That's one That's of the right. issues that I have. You know, you mentioned last night the Chiefs and the Dolphins, for example. Why should I have to subscribe to Peacock to watch an NFL playoff game, which is sure. the model that NASCAR is supposedly based their you know entire playoff system and how they're doing these stages. That's how they're placing it off of. Why yeah. should I have to buy another service to watch a primetime event? Now, I understand – you know, say that I'm a diehard MTSU or VCU fan, and the only way that I can watch my game is on ESPN+, Plus. I'm most likely probably going to do it because that is the only way I can do it because that's not mm-hmm. a major, you know, crowd-drawing team. They're not ever going to be on the big networks like ESPN, ESPN2, Fox, what and what have you. But sure. at the same time, you know, when I – you know, back in November, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, there was a Tennessee basketball game, Tennessee versus Wisconsin, and Wisconsin was a fringe top 25 team. Tennessee was a top 25 team. And the only way that you could watch that game was on Peacock. Mm-hmm. But then you turn it on ESPN, you turn it on the SEC network, ESPN2, and there are very just, for lack of better terms, what the kids are saying nowadays, mid, mid-teams yeah. on those networks. It's like, why am I having to pay for an extra service? This is a much better game. They're putting a much better product out on the floor. Like you got yeah. a, two teams that are on the track to score a total of 160, 170 points between the two of them. Meanwhile, I'm just watching the slop on these other channels. Sure. And it's going to yeah, really I, make me mad when I turn on a NASCAR race when I'm ultimately going to have to pay for the streaming service because that's the only way that we're going to be able to watch. And then I look on NBC or Fox and I just see just garbage. Yeah, I'm really anxious to see the numbers from the Dolphins-Chiefs game because we all know the weather conditions, you know, negative 30, wind chill and all that. That's an appealing game for the casual fan who's sitting in the warmth of his home turning that on and watching these guys in this extreme weather. So I want to see, since it was only on Peacock, how those numbers compare versus the non-streamed playoff games from this weekend, you know? And selfishly, I hope they were garbage. Well, I, you and I both. And I'll tell you what, I've been a NASCAR fan since I was seven years old, and I'll state it now, and I'll state it when the new deal comes out and they're streaming on Peacock. I am not buying another streaming service 
just to watch NASCAR races, you know, and a lot of fans I think are that way established and maybe these new fans. So, Hey, I'm turning on my TV this Sunday and I'm watching a race on NBC. Oh, but then next week I'm on streaming. No, I'm not, you know, I'll just follow on MRN or PRN. Yeah. We'll just turn on the radio and that's how it's going to be like that. What's that? I mean, we'll just turn on the radio and that's just how it's going to be. That's right. Because I'd rather listen to MRN or PRN than to have to pay for another streaming service. Sure. You know, that's another good point, Jake. I'd rather, I already, without streaming, I already sync my TV up for the video and mute it. I sync it up with the radio broadcast because the radio crews are so much better, so much more professional, seem to be so much more informed. You think I'm going to pay to listen to these guys, so you're, you know, essentially, I would be paying just for the video because I'm listening to the radio audio, you know. And if we so, really need a link to the video, I mean, we can just call up our buddy Trey Wallace and he'll just make it happen for us at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but he will absolutely help us out should that be the case. Coming up next here on Rattling Cages, we're going to be talking with Bill Mars, the interior specialist and mechanic for Front Row Motorsports. Stay with us. Rattling Cages continues on right here on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the coach who realized the team's... You know, you're not the driver of the 34 car, the 38 car. You do a lot of the stuff behind the scenes in order to get those cars to the front. And just go through with the audience what your typical day-to-day life is like with your position you have at Front Row Motorsports. Okay. Well, the biggest uh, aspect that you have being an interior specialist is making sure that all of the safety equipment is like it should be. All the air conditioning stuff is like it should be. The cool suits, it, it all works together. Uh, the biggest thing that you don't want to see is your driver get hurt. Um, so I know my driver, Todd Gilliland, he's a Bell driver. So I have a very good relationship with Tim Whitaker over at Bell. Anytime we've had an issue with the helmet, I've gone across town, I've taken the helmet, and he's checked it out and made sure everything's like it should be. Um, just make sure the gloves are correct, their shoes, their fire suits, their belts. Um, you think about the 10 or 12 safety items that you have to deal with every week. You need to make sure that the seatbelts don't have a little nick or a fray in them. Um, of one race, we had an air conditioner go out on Todd. And it was Circuit of the Americas, and fortunately, he's young, and he was able to drive through it and got a top 10 out of it, but he very easily could have fallen out of the seat because his air conditioner quit working. So uh, every week, you have to go through his uh, systems like that and make sure that they operate as they should. Bill, you've been doing this a long time. For, for folks who aren't familiar with you and your background, tell us uh, when you got started and, and kind of your journey through the, the racing ranks over the years. <laughs> so this is my 25th season, and I would absolutely be a story in how not to get involved in racing. <laughs> um, and you have to go back to when I was in high school in 1995. It predated the internet. Nowadays, you type in on Google, how do you get involved in NASCAR? That wasn't a thing back then. There wasn't any kind of, uh, you know, look up online. Oh, there's this tech school. There's that tech school. None of that existed. So 
when I graduated high school, the counselors there, they were like, a career in NASCAR? Are you kidding me? Here, why don't you go to this school and be a teacher? And I'm like, huh? What? <laughs> um, so, fortunately, I was really good with school, and I made a deal with my mom to go to school and try it out. Uh, the first semester, I absolutely hated it. And then the next semester, I got plugged in with some people and some groups, and I enjoyed it a lot more. And college certainly beats working for a living. Um, and, I, and I was on a scholarship, too, so that helped out. So I wasn't, like, running up a bunch of debt or anything. It was paid for. Um, but it all came together in 1997. I was president of my fraternity at the time, and we had a banquet out in Colorado. And I was in a hot tub with the national president at the time. His name was Mike Wachania. And he said, uh, you know, Bill, is there anything that you'd like to do? And I was like, I'd love to help out the attorney any way I know how. You know, what's your biggest issue? He said, I've got a group of guys in Charlotte, North Carolina, that are looking for someone to help them get started. And I put them on the floor. I'm like, Charlotte, North Carolina, I'll go. And he said, what? I said, Charlotte, North Carolina, that's where I want to go eventually to work in racing. I'll go and I'll help with the fraternity. And he thought I was crazy. But back then, and even today, if you want to be involved in racing, you have to go to North Carolina. Sure. So I went and I helped out and I helped get the chapter started at UNC Charlotte. And then when I graduated high school, I started going around to race shops and put my resume out. And I honestly got laughed out of a few places because all I had was a history degree. <laughs> um, and one of the people that I talked to moving down here, they're like, oh, there's this tech school at Catawba Valley Community College. They teach you how to fabricate. So I went and I did that for six months and I learned how to fabricate. I could build a race car from a pile of steel from the ground up. Um, and then I happened to walk into Impact Motorsports in June of 2000. Their tire specialist there uh, was going through a real nasty divorce. His lawyer told him that he had to find a real job. And I walked in 10 minutes after he turned his two weeks in. That's oh, how I got started in racing. Well, so you, well, you mentioned Impact. I met you when you were with Go Fast. I know you've been with Bruco. What are some of the teams that you've, you've worked with at the various – you know, at, at the three highest levels. Oh, gosh. So, truck series, I was involved at Impact Motorsports. Um, and one of the crew chiefs there, he also owned a truck. His name was Charlie Long. Uh, I got involved in that. And then just a few years ago, I got involved with Front Row Motorsports on their truck deal, and we won a championship there. Yeah. Uh, the Bush Series slash Xfinity is what they're calling it now. Uh, I made the rounds on all the teams there. Um, 95% of them don't exist anymore. <laughs> um, but I was at Bruco for several years. I went to Keith Coleman Racing from there. I helped out some rookie driver named Brad Keselowski get his start there. Nice. Uh, from there, I went to um, Curtis Key Motorsports. Uh, even, and then I went cup racing for a while. I went to junior motorsports for a year in 2017. I worked for Justin Allgaier there. Uh, and then on the cup side, 
I helped out. I worked at Whitney Motorsports on a start and park deal. And then I worked at Jay Robinson Racing. And you know it's a bad deal when BK Racing is a step up. But believe it or not, in 2012, <laughs> it was a step up for me. Yeah. I went to Jermaine Racing from there. And then I went to Go Fast. And then uh, this past year, I, w- I-, I had a stop at the 95 car in there for about almost two years. And then this past year, I got put back on the cup side at Front Row Motorsports at Todd Gilliland. You've been around. You've seen it all. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, when I walked into Phoenix for the championship, I was walking through the tunnel. And I thought, man, this did not seem this hard 20 years ago. And I got to thinking, 20 years ago, they had an opening on the backstretch that we just walked across. And we didn't have to go through a tunnel. Yeah, you've been around. So when you were talking about the things that you do as an interior specialist, what, if anything, has changed your job and your duties from the previous car to this next-gen car now? Is it, is, it, is it still the same, the things you do, or has much of it changed? Well, the Cup Series is definitely a different animal from other stuff. Uh, truck Series is almost like old-school Cup racing, where the interior specialist does a lot of the you know, mounting the seats, mounting the air conditioning, all of that stuff, the interior specialist does it. You know, I set all the pedals, I put the stinger and columns in, I did a lot of the wiring, and you have none of that on the cup side. Yeah. The cup side, they've got their own wiring guy, they got their own shop interior guy. So you're working on a completely different set of uh, things there when you're a cup interior specialist. Um, between where I started and where I'm at now, it's world of difference. It was before we killed all the drivers back in 2000. So I remember putting an air conditioner unit in with two big zip ties. Oh, wow. You know, the, the seat, a LaJoy seat was state of the art and only a handful of drivers had those. There was none of the headrest technology to keep the driver's heads from moving everywhere. Um, now, uh, you know, and back then you just kind of had a throwaway guy who just like, yeah, we'll help you throw this seat in or we'll help you throw this AC in. It's nothing like today where you have dedicated interior people to make sure these drivers don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. As far as these next gen cars, they are their own little animal. They're extremely hot. They're extremely cramped. Um, that actually being cramped up inside exacerbated an old injury I had, and I had to get spinal fusion surgery in the off season. That was a adventure of its own. But these cars, they've got nowhere for the air to go. All the hot air's trapped inside, and it's very important to get all the cooling right to the drivers. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. That's a, that's a whole other conversation to me, but you know how they, they had this baseline with the old card and why they couldn't just take that and improve safety wise. And so on from that point, cause that we're, this, these are the same things people have been talking about since this new car came along with, you know, not only the impact, but the heat and, and dissipation and so on. So it's, Anyway, that's another for another day, maybe. But um, 
you've got more racing going on in your family than just you. Tell us about, and I've been following, I guess now for a couple of years, your son. Uh, remind, is it Bandoleros or Legends he's racing? So my son, Bobby, uh, when he turned 10, we got him involved in go-karts. I didn't want him involved before that. I know a lot of people get their kids involved at five, six, seven, but I purposely didn't want him involved that soon because I wanted to make sure that he actually wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we took him to the local indoor go-kart track and he really did good there. He was a season champion there in 2020. And from that, we moved into Bandoleros. Uh, I've had Josh Williams, the driver, Josh Williams, yeah. looking after his stuff. And we've been racing through him. Um, and Bobby's getting bigger now. He just turned 15, but he wanted to move into something else that was bigger. But looking at the prices, legend cars are insane right now. Yeah. So um, I took a different route and I actually went to uh, the Allison Legacy Series, which is more power, but it's more along the price of a Bandolero. Mm-hmm. So I've got a gentleman named Chris Woods. It's actually Daniel Hemrick's stepdad is looking after the stuff, and we're going to try to do this upcoming season with him. Cool. Very good. And he's racing mainly right there at Charlotte, right? During like the summer shootout? Yeah. So the first year we ran the Bandoleros, we did the summer shootout. And then there was a tour called the Southeast Tour that we got him involved in. And he did really well there. He finished third in points. And unfortunately, the promoters of that series uh, decided that the Bandoleros weren't bringing enough cars, sponsors, fans, whatever. So they discontinued it. So we took him back up to the Speedway and ran him summer shootout last year in the Bandolero class. Okay. All right. Jake, I don't mean to monopolize. Could jump in here if you've got something for Bill. Oh, you're doing a fantastic job. And, you know, it's funny to me, Bill, you mentioned, you know, you were meeting with some of your fraternity brothers and you mentioned that you wanted to meet Charlotte. And, you know, being in that scene for a while, um, you know, one of the things I realized was the connections that I made, you know, were very fruitful and, you know, obviously helped me along the way. And it sounds like they helped you along the way as well. So when you when you go into the shop and, you know, you'd mentioned to, you know, Todd, you know, he ran you know, at, at w- whichever course it was, and his air conditioning went out. Um, explain to the modern-day, just common man, you know, what the equivalent of that would be. Because here, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, that's, for me, a trip to Atlanta from Knoxville, Tennessee, basically running without AC and just catching nothing but hot air the entire time in the dead of summer. How would you equivalent that to the modern-day common fan? Uh, that's pretty close. Just imagine going on a four hour trip and it's in the dead of summer, 95 degrees out and your air conditioner quits working. And not only does it quit working, it starts blowing hot air. Um, you know, you get your car temperature up to, you know, 115 or so you can't open the windows. These cars, they have very little airflow through them. So it's almost like having your windows rolled up in the middle of summer. Um, you know, you'll sweat several pounds off just from the heat being in the car. 
And, you know, JL, you would understand this. Um, So when I was in college, you know, you you just take whatever car your parents give you at that point. So I was actually driving from La Falla, the town about 35 miles north of Knoxville, down to Murfreesboro, which is down below Nashville, with no air conditioning. And the window tracks were messed up. So I just had to drive in a hot car with the back (laughs) windows rolled down, trying to get every bit of air conditioner air that I could get in the car. (laughs) So it was one of those deals. Even if you had a fraternity meeting that you might have been running late for, you were wearing whatever just old T-shirt you had and whatever pair of basketball shorts you could find, and that's how you rode. And unfortunately for these drivers, you know, you have to wear this protective equipment. You have to wear the helmet. You have to wear the fire suit. You have to wear the boots. You have to wear the gloves. There's no getting around that for these drivers. That uh, really just amazes me just because there's absolutely nothing they can do in a situation like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, if you have an issue, you pray that it's the last 50 laps of a race and not the first 50 laps. <laughs> um, you know, and like you said, these uh, these fire suits that they wear, they have to wear fireproof underwear. They don't breathe. They just trap body heat in, and you're kind of at the mercy of, you know, how hot it is that day. And even, I say, AC system, the only thing that they do is they knock about 20 degrees out of the ambient air temperature. So if it's a hundred degree day, it's only going to blow at 80 degrees uh, air into your helmet, which is better than a hundred degree air into your helmet. But you know, the most that they'll do is they'll knock 20 degrees out. So it's not a true air conditioning system. It just takes the ambient air and it cools it down from where it's at. Sure. Sure. Real quick, because uh, we're running out of time, off-season versus in-season. Are you still going to the track? I mean, obviously that adds a lot during the season, but your d- job duties, what's the difference this time of year versus June, July, August? So during the year, especially on the cup side, there's one off week for 36 weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, you're – you get done at the racetrack, you go to the shop, you take your parts and pieces off of one car, you put them in the next car, you get the car loaded, and you go home. There's not a whole lot of time to mess around with anything. In the off-season, you're going through your scales, your toolboxes, your hauler, your pit equipment, and usually in November and December, that's when you're going through everything else you're making sure okay we lost three wrenches five sockets let's get those replaced let's get a new wrap on these things let's improve the hauler and do this to it that wasn't done last year and for the road guys that's when you actually get a chance to take your time off Mm -hmm. you know there's usually no time to take a two-week vacation in the middle of the year so you've got two months to use all your personal time up off time off. Mm -hmm. So most of the road guys, they'll be in and out for most of the off season. They're not usually not working, uh, seven to four, like they used to do back in the day. Mm -hmm. Well, just think now we don't have, or you don't have to deal with the testing. Like in the early days, they were still testing a lot when you got started, right? Yes, sir. And actually, Um, That's one of the big things that NASCAR changed that may not have been one of the best uh, 
it was a good idea at the time because mm-hmm. I said, oh, we're wasting all this money testing. Well, instead of spending that $2 million testing, what do they do? They hired three more engineers. They go to the <laughs> wind tunnel more. They hire these computational fluid dynamics engineers. So they're still spending $2 million, if not more, yeah. for a computer program. Yeah. Spend the same money, just in different ways. Yes, sir. Yeah. And that's anytime you see a rules change, all that money is already spoken for. It just gets reallocated. It's not, oh, we spent $30 million last year. We spent, we say these owners $2 million. Yeah. Now they're spending $28 million. No, they're still spending $30 million. They mm-hmm. just spend it differently. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, before we let you go, Jake, I don't know if you got anything else, but I definitely want you to tell listeners where to find you and where to find Bobby on social media if they want to follow either of you or both of you. So on Instagram and Facebook, uh, the racing account is at the Mars Family, and that's M-A-R-E-S, or Mars Family Racing. And then on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it these days, I can be found at Kill Bill Racing, and my son is at um, Alan R. Mars uh, at Twitter. Good. Well, I just learned something. I didn't. I'm on Instagram, and I didn't realize you were there, so I have to look you up on Instagram. <laughs> yep. Well, my wife runs the hey. Instagram stuff. I don't have Instagram, but yeah. a lot of the racing stuff will go through Instagram. So cool. Very good. Very nice. You learn something new every day. JL learned something today. I learned something today. That's what we love about doing these interviews. Bill, thank you so much for hopping on. We'll talk again soon. Yep, no problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, man. Take care. That is is Bill Mars with Front Row Motorsports. Stay with us. Rattling Cages continues on. Final segment coming up right here on Fan Run Radio. At Knoxville Smiles, we're bringing the future of modern dental care to East Tennessee today. All of the scraping and polishing with the gritty stuff, that will soon be ancient history. At Knoxville Smiles, the future is... segment of the program it is rattling cages right here on fan run radio jake miller jl still we got about 10 more minutes for y'all for the first show of 2024 jl bill mars what an interview what a performance and what a way absolutely go ahead i was just a great guy i've i've been fortunate enough to know him for a few years now as i said i during the interview i met him when he was with go fast and uh, I, we didn't cross paths this past year, but uh, it's just a great story. Uh, we, you know, as he talked about his son, he did want me to mention this because I talked to him after our interview. Um, let me find it. I wrote it down. Yes, his son's Twitter account. Mm-hmm. He contacted me and said, hey, I, I messed up. My wife changed it and, and it's, Al, uh, Bobby's account is different. So if you want to follow his son, Bobby... Uh, it's Alan, A-L-L-E-N, Alan Bobby Mars, M-A-R-E-S. So look him up. And for a young man, he does a great job, uh, I think, on social media, uh, updating not only what goes on at the track, but uh, 
reaching out to and thanking the sponsors. A lot of folks have kind of pitched in with, you know, $100 here, $50 there. So uh, be sure and, and follow not only Bill, but uh, Alan, Bobby, Mars. And there's that. I mean, and two, if you if anybody wants to, you know, throw some sponsorship dollars here. I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna turn it down by any means. If you no, want, sir. If you want any information on marketing campaigns or advertising rates for rattling cages, feel free to contact either myself or JL on Twitter, or send an email to Jake at sportsradioknoxville.com. JL, what is the sure. one thing that we always loved to do? when we were still in season for the final segment it was make our picks sure we now have early betting odds Uh. (laughs) for the daytona 500 your favorite too early odds yeah way 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 (laughs) too early odds i'll tell you i'm gonna take the same guy that i took last year Harrison Burton was at plus 8,000 odds last year. I was like, you know what? Let's just throw a $10 bill down on this. Let's see what happens. Because if you win that, you're you're walking out there with 800 bucks on a $10 bet. I'm not going to lie. With about seven laps to go, I was sitting there. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I might actually win 800 bucks today. And then guess who didn't do a thing the rest of the year? Yeah, Harrison Burton. And then you got a couple of other guys, you know, towards the back. I mean, right now his odds are at 80 to 1. Uh, Zane Smith has the worst odds at 101. Corey LaJoy sitting there at 65 to 1. Todd Gillen with the same odds. Uh, Daniel Hemrick, 55 to 1. Justin Haley, 55 to 1. Noah Gregson, 50 to 1 odds. Might might huh. want to keep a uh, keep an eye on that one as well. Michael McDowell, 35 to 1. That wouldn't be a bad pick either. And then we scroll all the way down here to the bottom. You start getting to the lower odds. It's like, okay, well, here's uh here's a guy. He's probably got a chance to do it. But I just want to see, in your opinion, if this makes sense to you. The favorite, the reigning champ, Ryan Blaney at 9 to 1. Yeah. Denny Hamlin at 11 to 1. Chris Busher, 11 to 1. Brad Keselowski, 11 to 1. And your favorite, your favorite driver, <laughs> the most popular driver in NASCAR. Oh, yeah. And all we heard yeah. last year was this. <laughs> Chase Elliott, 11 to 1. And it, listen, it's not going to hurt my feelings in 2024 if we hear a whole lot more of that. But we'll see how it shakes out. I can tell you now, I mean, you know, now it's just guesswork and, and emotions more than anything. There's no real information about how guys are, are running and so on. But I think it would kick off the season tremendously well. Be a great storyline from where he was, where he went, and, and how they've elevated since he went there. But I would love nothing more than to see Brad Keselowski get the Daytona 500 win. You know, his teammate, his, his really his employee, um, Busher did so well last year, picking up multiple wins. Brad was right there with some opportunities at tracks, but what a statement that would be if Brad could win Daytona, and I would love to see it. Absolutely, and th- this is a guy that you know a lot of people had a sour taste in their mouth about 
uh, just because, you know, he was with Penske and you had the Joey Logano effect. And, you know, Joey Logano, you know, essentially made himself – he either had fans or people hated him. There was really no in-between. There was really no indifferent uh, feelings about Joey Logano. But then Brad takes over Roush Fen- – or becomes a part owner in Roush Fenway Racing. And yeah. that team, you know, like we had mentioned, you know, at before, was on the brink of becoming a museum team. It's like a team that was once great, a team that once had five cars. And then you look at what they did last year with Chris Busher and Brad, and it's like, okay, well, they're doing something here. Like, Brad coming over to Roush Fenway and becoming a part owner has elevated that team. Because at one point, JL, you, you'll remember this, when it was Ricky Stenhouse and Trevor Bain yeah. driving for Roush Fenway. And midway through the season, they looked at Trevor and said, well, you're only going to run half the race the rest of the year. Matt Kenseth is going to come in and drive yep. the rest. And obviously that puts a sour taste in Trevor's mouth. Well, Matt comes in. It's like, well, what do we need to do to the car? And he's telling them these things, and it just so happens to be the same thing that Trevor is telling them. <laughs> yeah, they look like uh, the term you used is museum piece. They look like they were on their way to being just a museum piece. And um, I don't know. You know, a lot of folks, I think, wondered when Brad got in there, would they really be able to turn it around? But you've got to give that guy credit. He's um, he's done a phenomenal job. and it's, it's good to see them competitive again. I mean, the equivalent to that would have been essentially Texas football, a team that was on the brink of just dying out. Yeah. But the resources are there. Sure. They're making these engines. It's like, why? Why can they not win? And Chris Busher, I think at one point last year, you had mentioned he might be on his way out. That was the rumor at one point, yeah. And then all of a sudden, he wins. And then he wins again. Back-to-back weeks, and it's like, uh, yeah, they're not going to get rid of this guy. They can't get rid of this guy. He's performing too well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, that was one of the best stories, I think, that came out of last year. And then, of course, you had the Kyle Busch uh, Toyota Revenge Tour. Essentially, early on in the season, he was performing well, and then he kind of tailored off a little bit. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, Kyle Busch had uh, elevated that team back to where it was. And, I mean, you know, Tyler Reddick, he did a good job when he was there. But at the same time, it wasn't a splash name like Kyle Busch. And that's one thing that Childress did was they mm-hmm. they were like, well, we need a basically a splash hire, as we call them. And they went out and they got Kyle Busch. And sure. like you said – you know, in the garage, even though at one point mid-season he wasn't performing the way he wanted to, you know, you had heard that Kyle Busch was happier than he'd ever been. Yeah. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. Number one, the fact that he was happy, for one. <laughs> that was yeah, a miracle right. in and of itself. But then to see him, you know, he's not as angry in these interviews. He's not pouting. He's not acting like a child in these interviews or when he hops on the back of the medical cart. I mean – I'm not going to yeah. lie. Some of those were funny, but oh sure. at the same time, it's like, you know, this guy has completely revitalized himself as well. It's like, okay, well, guess what? I took a punch and just got absolutely kicked in the stomach. Let's go out and make the most of what we can. And he's done that. Well, I think a lot of that's age, maturity, wisdom that we gain as we get older. But at the same time, being, uh, you know, in a, in a new place with new opportunities, probably revitalized him as well it's gonna be interesting to see can he at a minimum maintain and at best uh 
become even more competitive over the course of the season. So we've got a lot of great storylines going into 2024. I'm sure we'll touch on a lot of them as we get closer to the season. But, uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff. And, and i tell you something else as, as Bill's interview was playing. For a, a somewhat new show and coming out of Knoxville, not only do we want to thank our guests, but I'm pretty proud of the guests we've had on. I mean, we've had sponsors, we've had team owners, we've had media people, both regionally and nationally. Now we've had a crew member on. So I like the fact, and, and I hope our listeners do too, that we're trying to bring perspectives from a lot of, well, a lot of different perspectives, you know, different angles in the sport. And, and we certainly appreciate everybody that's been a part of it and working on getting some more perspectives on here. Absolutely. We're looking forward to that, especially as we get closer to the season. Uh, JL, got a little bit of a surprise for you here All to right, end the show. So, obviously, there's a lot of changes happening here at Fan Run Radio. You know, we've had the, yes. the lineup changes. You know, I moved time slots to 10 to 12 and got a show named after me, which, you know, that's uh, uh, that's an honor to me, you know. Pretty cool. And, yeah. and being able to not only name it after myself, but after the nickname that was given to me by one of my fraternity brothers. And, you know, through the week before, I was like, man, I really just need a logo. I'm like, I don't even know how to do this. Well, luckily, my girlfriend, who is very talented, just pops up a software and is like, well, let's use this, 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 and this, and here you go, and spits out this awesome logo. We are getting a logo for this show within the next two weeks. Nice. All right. So we can actually brand ourselves. Merch, T-shirts, hats. <laughs> Some other stuff that I cannot mention on air because I don't want to get in trouble with the boss. We're probably not going to do that. That's probably a bad idea. But it would be really cool if we did. That's going to do it for us. JL, thank you so much, man. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Enjoy it. Thanks to everybody that tuned in. Absolutely. Up next, you have the morning after returning with Davis Rangy right here on Fan Run Radio. Are you in need of a 